The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. The right to self-defense, gambling, Kate Spade's suicide, and remembering D-Day and Ronald Reagan. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We have a jam packed show for you today. This is, of course, the show exclusive to the Blaze. We come for the action, but you stay for the principles. I want to start today's show by actually having a real honest conversation with you about the Second Amendment, but I want to take it in a different direction. Because if you listen to your culture and you listen to the arguments on both sides, once again, it's all about guns. You have all these people like David Hogg running around going, we need to ban guns, we need to ban guns. Guns are the problem. Guns are the problem. If they, they paint this picture if you listen to them and you listen to their arguments of, if you just remove the gun from society, we live in, we live in this wonderful world. We live in this utopia. Nothing bad will ever happen. You know, we'll sing ring a ring a ring rosy We'll sing Kumbaya. We'll all be friendly to each other. You know, people, it's the gun that makes people unfriendly. This is not based on any logic, based on any reason, or based on any history. It's just, a, it's just an assertion they make. But if you listen to the people on the right, they always make it about guns. I have a right to a gun. I have a right to this. I have a, I have a right to a semi-automatic. I have a right to whatever gun it is. I have a right to unlimited bullets in a, in a, in a magazine, whatever way it is. I want to have a conversation with you today because I want to share some examples of what is going on in a city right now, in a city of one of your allies, and it's crazy. And just explore what has been told by politicians. What is what are we actually telling people? Once again, I get very lots of hate when I say this. The Second Amendment has nothing to do with guns on either side. I say this to the left and the right and everyone loses their mind. If you read the Second Amendment and you see guns, I'm sorry, the word gun isn't there. The word musket is not there. It has nothing to do with guns. What it is to do with is a principle. A simple, fundamental principle of self-defense. Do you have a right to defend yourself? Do you have a right, if someone targets you, do you have a right to defend yourself or do you just have to play victim and call someone else to help you? You know, the good guys who, who society deems can carry a gun. You know, in Ireland, that's the, you know, the detectives who are really on the high crime squads. The, the, the bobbies don't carry guns. Same in England. In the, UK, in the US, police carry guns. Is that, is that our role? Do we have a right to self-defense? Because I want to share some stories with you from London, England. One of America's longest and most trusted allies, the United Kingdom. Forget what's going on right now, but historically. London is going through a massive crime spree. There is a comedian, let's start with the simplest story. 
There is a comedian called Michael McIntyre. You may have heard of him. He's he's quite funny, actually. I like watching some of his shows. He's usually pretty clean, and he's very funny, and he, he tells good jokes, you know, jokes that you could actually sit. There's a good chance 90% of his jokes uh, you could sit and watch with your kids. They're funny, they're humorous, he interacts with people. Um, think of a... I hate comparing comedians because I'm really crap at it, but, you know, think of Jim Gaffigan if you've never heard of him. Well, earlier this week, he was in a really frightening situation, which I cannot, I, I don't know how, you know, unless you've ever been through this situation, you can't empathize or you can't really understand what was going through his mind. But just think of this. You're a famous comedian. You're worth quite a, you know, pretty penny. And you're dropping your kids to school. And as he's dropping his kids to school in a, in a Land Rover, in a big SUV, mopeds come past him. And with a hammer, they smash his window and take his watch. Now, I've heard different valuations of the watch. Some people say it was as low as £15,000. as seen as valuations as high as £75,000. That's irrelevant. That's, you know, the people are going, oh, well, it was, it was only worth 15000 Oh, well, that's okay, then. It's only worth £15,000. You know, he's a rich millionaire and billionaire. He, he can afford to buy a new watch. He probably didn't even wait till lunchtime. He was probably out shopping that morning. Uh, this is some of the conversations that happen over here online. It doesn't matter how much it's worth. It's the principle. Imagine being a target. The one thing I, when I heard this story, I went, oh my God. You know, the first thing, I didn't care about the watch. My first thing was like, so they fought, there was reports that they may have followed him from his home. And I thought, my God, how frightening must he be if they were followed him from his home they know what his kid looks like now because the kid was in the car and they know where his school is. Are they? If they think, well, that, wow, that watch was worth £75,000, I wonder what we could do if we could get his kid. Hmm. Because criminals don't just stop at one place. That was the first story. The second story is a really tragic, horrific, disgusting, vile story. There's a 90-year-old woman right now lying in a hospital bed. And this is a, comes from the Daily Mail. If you go check this story out, the, the title of the story is Beaten in Her Own Bed in Lawless London. Woman 90 is left fighting for her life. If you want to see some really, really troubling pictures, if you can picture a, a white Caucasian elderly woman and just picture her face, her face from her right side of her jaw just under her jaw, all the way up her jaw, and literally all the way above the top of her mouth, like she was having a mustache, is all bruised. Her two eyes are black, and her forehead, all of it, from all from the left to the right, with the exception of a small circle on the top right-hand side, is all bruised. I want you to picture for a second, that is your granny. If that was my granny, or that was my mother, or if that was my great-grandmother, I can't say what I would do on the air, because I'd get kicked off. But you can, you can imagine it. I may not be fast, I can't run, but I'm a big guy and I know how to handle myself, and I'm strong. So you paint the picture of what I would do if I found the SOB who did this to my granny. Trust me, he would be a lot worse, and this woman is battered to a pulp. This woman, who's 90 years of age, lives by herself. She woke to and find the intruder looming over her, at which point he struck the mother of two over and over again before rifling through her belongings. Because she was beaten so badly, they don't know how long she was left unconscious. They don't know when the attack was. 
they're saying somewhere between Friday and some um sorry Saturday and Monday morning because she does not know herself she has been battered and bruised and beaten up so badly she is drifting in and out of consciousness and she cannot remember her attacker this is the latest in a long long stream of attacks that is going on in London right now there was an Australian TV presenter um, I think making a presentation on a street in London doing a video he had his 15,000 pound camera just ripped out of his hands by a moped what they are doing in London right now is they've come up with this great way of just stealing stuff and you've seen if you if you google it you'll see the pictures I'm sure they're on YouTube and the videos are on YouTube where you, you see literally people just walking into a cafe very blasé they remove their helmet, they just scour the place, and then they see, oh, you have an iPad, and you have a wallet, or a purse, or you have a handbag on the floor, or you have a laptop. And they literally grab as much as they can, and they have a time down to a T, and literally, as they're running out and people are starting to follow them, there's a moped just pulls up, and they jump on and, and run off. You are leaving people defenseless. Just to give you some stats, what's going on in London right now, because, you know, we all love the facts, right? We all love the facts, but this is a gun problem. Oh, no, it's all guns. Guns make people bad. No, bad people are bad people. And bad people will find ways to do bad things with or without a gun. Some stats. Scotland Yard, which is a government agency, has logged 22,025 motorcycle muggings in the last 12 months. Just in case you're curious on what the year on year and, you know, what is that up or down or is about the same. It's about a 50% rise. They have, police have revealed that the city gangs have set up a 650 country line network, which is selling drugs into towns and villages. A think tank, I don't know whether this is reputable or not, because they didn't provide a link, but, you know, it it sounds about right, said that theft from the shops cost about 6.3 billion last year. Or, you know, give or take, about 270 pounds per household. That's theft. Violent crime has soared 21% in the last year with 1.3 million offences recorded by the police. And that's only the recorded offences. How many times do you think they haven't been reported? Knife crime has risen by 22%. Robberies by a third. Sex attacks were up by a quarter. As the police recorded 5.4 million offences overall, which is up 13%. They're the stats. Now let's get back to the principle of the argument and why America is so exceptional. America is so exceptional because you have a second amendment. And that has nothing to do with guns. Because what these politicians are saying right now in London is, look, these crimes are very rare. I I had the police chief, I watched the video, the police chief after the 90-year-old who was just battered to a pulp, which is just sick. The police chief, one of the things they said was, we got to remember, these attacks are very rare. Uh Uh-huh. That's supposed to make me feel better. Let's say these attacks are very rare and they're one in a million. It doesn't matter. You're still telling someone they have to be defenseless. You're telling someone they do not have a right to self-defense. They do not have a right to control their own house. They They do not have a right to decide, hey, if some bad person targets me, I'm going to be the one who decides how I defend myself, how I protect myself. In America, we don't make this about defense. We make this about guns. And the left make it about guns and the right make it about guns. Even though I hate those two terms, left and right, they make no sense. I have to use the language of the day. 
It is not about guns. The Second Amendment is about a right to defend yourself. The fundamental human right, the fundamental law of nature says you do not have to sit there and take it. It just so happens in the 21st century that we live in that the gun happens to be the greatest equalizer man has ever known. Because that's, I have given this example loads of times. I'm a big guy. I'm six foot one, about 300 pounds, right? When I'm in the gym, I lift, deadlift 300 pounds for 30 seconds. I lift a lot of weights. I'm strong, okay? If I decide, you know what, there's, there's a 90-year-old woman. She, she looks a bit frail. She's not a, she's not a big person. You know, she might have a stick. There is nothing that 90-year-old, or heck, let's even make it more realistic. There's nothing a 60-year-old person could do to stop me if I decide, you know what, I'm going to take you out. Unless I do something stupid. I'm physically going to overpower them because I'm in my 30s, they're in their 60s. I'm strong. There is no chance, unless they're, unless they're Mr. Miyagi from The Karate Kid, there's a good chance 99% of the time I should win. That's just the way it is. That I'm not bragging here, by the way. I'm not saying, hey, look at me. I'm, a t-. I'm just using a fact. that I would say the same for other people. If they have a gun and they have, a, hey, you have a right to defend yourself, and you go, oh, well, I'm 60 years of age. If I get into a fist fight with a 30-year-old or a 20-year-old or a teenager, I'm going to lose. What am I going to do? I decide to carry a gun. I have a right to defend myself because that is the greatest equalizer man has ever created. To this day, it might change in the future. There might be a greater one. They have that right. And for you to say they don't is sick. That is what the Second Amendment is all about. It is a right to defend yourself. Because in the case of that 90-year-old woman, I don't know whether the situation would have been different if she had a gun or not. But when she, if she had a gun and I went and I said, "I'm gonna," there's a 90-year-old woman, I'm going to take her, I'm going to rob her. My strength doesn't come into play when it comes to a gun. My power does not come into effect when if we both have guns my youth and my inexperience does not come into play when she has a gun nothing is because gun right now in 2018 is the greatest equalizer man has ever created but we have to understand our world is changing if we make the second amendment about guns that's all it will be about if that's all we ever talk about it is a right to self-defense. In 2118, the gun might be obsolete. There is a chance that in 2118, we don't use guns. We'll look at them as a primitive, stupid, crappy, irrelevant thing. They'll be like, why would people use this archaic gun? It was, oh my God, we have these things. I don't know what these things are in the future. Heck, we might have phasers from Star Wars or from Star Trek. We might have lightsabers. We might have the guns the stormtrooper has. I don't know. I, I don't know what's going to happen. In, I don't know when tech, with, with technology and advancements. I don't know what's going to happen in two years, let alone 100 years. The same principle will be true in 100 years. You have a right to defend yourself. You have a right to see and do everything in your power to defend yourself. Because why? It's not because John says so. It's not because some politician says so. It's not because some right-winger said so. It's because it's the laws of nature. 
You look at the laws of nature, they're obvious, they're self-evident. I've used this example so many times in this show over the last three years and before it. Liberals and Democrats even get the law of nature of self-defense. Because if I shared this story, no liberal would be outraged, or point the liberal who would be outraged to me. Man walked into the woods today, man found a cave. And man went into the cave and saw this cute little gooby, and he went, oh, he's in this looking at that cute little gooby, oh my god, I just gotta pick him up and pet him. Oh, the cute little gooby. And he picks him up, and he starts petting him, and he starts playing with him, he's having a great old time. And Mama Bear comes back, and sees man playing with her little baby cub, and mauls him to death. Is there any liberal who'll be going, oh my god, that bad bear, bad bear, bad, bad bear. Now they'll be like, the man deserved it. What did she think? They think the mama bear was going to come back and see you playing with the cub and think, oh, they're just totally innocent. They're just hanging out and singing Kumbaya and having fun. No, she thought you were a threat. She feared for her baby cub's life and she mauled you to death. Nature's law. You have a right to defend yourself. And by the way, you have a right to defend your cave, quote unquote. That is the law of the Second Amendment. That is the law of nature. You have a right to defend yourself. In England, you don't. In England right now, the crime is going up. Because there is no deterrent. Because let me be quite blunt with you. In England, unless you are the dopiest, stupidest, moronic, and I'm using all these words just to make a point, criminal, Chances are you're getting off with a lot of stuff. You know, it takes... You have to be very unlucky. Like, you have to be, like, totally stupid that... Hey, there's a person I'm going to rob, and there's a cop right beside it. And still go, ah, I'll get away with it. To get caught. Because they have all the helmets, because, you know... They have to wear helmets, because, you know, of health and safety. You know, they're on a moped. you got to wear your helmet, because, you know, heaven forbid, you know... They they get, you know, they don't wear their helmet. That, 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 that crime they'd probably catch... Because they're like, oh, there's money. Give me money. Hey, you got to find, you got to wear your moped hat. You know, that's that's regulations. Be self and safety, buddy. That is the world we live in. And what's frustrating right now, on the other side of the thing, is if, let's say, for whatever reason, true, DNA and the cops, and they actually catch you, the system is so stacked, is so sick, is so twisted with this criminal justice reform where... People who did bad things, remember the old days, like, oh, 20, 30 years ago? Remember those good old days? Where, when bad people did bad things, you went to jail because it was, hey, you did something really bad, you got to repay your debt to society, and we're going to lock you up for a long period of time. We don't have that anymore. We, like, no, we got to reform you. We got to make you better. We're going to look after you. We're going to nurture you. We're going to give you all the stuff you want in prisons. Prisons are not hellholes anymore. Prisons, they have games, they have TVs, they have Playboy, they have pictures of some cells I've seen, have pictures of naked women up on them. It's like a commune. It's like, this is like a holiday home. Oh, sure, you you can tell me when and when I can't go into my room and how long I can play in the yard for and maybe how long I have electricity for. But generally, it's pretty safe. It's pretty comfortable. It's just you can't control your freedom. But you've got to be reformed. The sad truth of the system is, if this person who battered this 90-year-old to, to a pulp in a truly horrific, sick crime, they would have a barrister and probably be out in a couple of years, maybe five years. That woman has been scarred for life. Because her injuries are so grave, she's going to be in hospital for a very long time. 
The truth of the matter is, number one, and from an American exceptional point of view, Second Amendment is critical. It's nature's law. You have a right to defend yourself. And the second thing is, the sad thing about the world we live in, we are so entrenched in the law of man that has no logic, that has no reason. It's just, it's what we all feel. Is that any crime that does get caught will have some lawyer twisting it, making sure their rights weren't violated and making sure they get off on quote-unquote good behavior. This system... Unless we act, unless principles actually start coming to the fore, unless we start having real conversations, can by what I've just said, does anyone see a problem coming on the on the war path? Does anyone see a path on the horizon that makes total sense, that would be totally understandable if you just go by emotions and not logic and reason? Do you see one problem that's going to happen? What's going to happen, chances are, in this society, is some incident is going to happen. And it's going to get mainstream attention. And they'll get caught. And they'll go through this criminal justice jargon. And they'll get a crime and a sentence for their crime that won't make sense. And the public will be outraged. And vigilanteism will come. Because people will demand justice. And if people can't get justice through the legal system, some people will seek ulterior methods to get their justice system, to get their justice, what they deem to be justice. Now, we can go on and talk about Bill Clinton and the Me Too and Monica Lewinsky and and re-argue arguments that are 20 years old again. We can talk about Samantha Bee's apology and, she said sorry, I don't care. We can have some real conversations. We are facing major problems in the world right now, and unless we start talking about principles and start bringing everything back to its foundation of nature's law and nature's God, our world is going to have major problems. When I come back, I want to talk to you about a story, another story from an economic point of view, and the role of man, the role of government, and the role of business, because it's something we need to discuss. Don't go anywhere, America. I'll be right back. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc. Me and Mia went over the list. Oh, and she paying to the government? HR. Or? Oh my gosh, this is great. This is great. So I told her I had to pay $45 because I said ass. And, like, What's the? and I was like, I can't tell you the big words, but 150 is the top. You do not want to pay 100 I got her to admit that could, you could. That she's like, I could see myself just giving HR my paycheck. The Morning Blaze, weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple On Demand On the Blaze Radio Network Thank you so much for sticking with me, America As always, I'm on social media Twitter, at Freedom Disciple Facebook, Jonathan Dunn 58 Drop me a friend request, drop me a follow I'll follow you back um, Interact with me, tell me I suck You know, Tell me where, you know, if you enjoy the show Or 
if there's something you think I need to talk about, if there's any issues that are really relevant to you and you think I've missed them, please send them on to me. I'll, if, they're, if I can add something to them or break it down to its core principle, I'll definitely discuss them. I want to have a conversation with you about the role of man, role of government and the role of business. In America, historically, I want to give you two pictures of why America is so exceptional. This is something I really want to do at every opportunity. I think they're one of the frustrating things for me, and I'm not going to say, well, it's just the left. I see it on all sides, is I see America fundamentally different to the vast majority of Americans. And it's not because I'm more intelligent than you. I'm not. It's not because I'm better than you. It's not. It's not. It's not because I have some hidden talent or some hidden curiosity. It's none of that. I think the reason and why I'm focusing on some stories lately outside of America is because you've been in the bubble of America. You All you know is America. That's all you know. You might have some picture, like the amount of people who think Ireland is this freedom-loving nation, when I tell them it's not, it's like, when did that change? Never, it never was. You, you have this perception of Europe being decent. I've been a good place. I've been just the same as you. You have this this baloney of, well, Western civilization is somehow more superior, where, you know, the, the civilizations of Europe and England and, and Canada and America are somehow, no, they're really not. America is, because it's on its own. But the others, no, not really. I want to share every reason I can from this show of why you're exceptional so that you can take them if you agree with them and you can take some of the the, the points I make make them your own don't just say well I heard this crazy Irish guy say this about America and then share it with your friend I don't want you to do that share the show absolutely please do we're growing all the time we're hitting new audiences if you like the show please share it but what I really want you to do is take the, the points I raise and make them your own don't say what I said say what you think and make people think in Europe and America, and not America, Europe and Australia and the rest of the world, we always have seen the, whether it historically was a king or a queen or a monarchy or whether you're in Ireland right now and you see it through a parliamentary system where, you know, we have a Taoiseach, which is the Irish for prime minister, or whether you see it through a different lens like France where you have like a presidential system. Ireland also has a president, but it's more of a figurehead, you know, where you have President Macron, whether it's through a theology We've always seen government as this moral arbiter of society. That if we see it wrong in society, we go, oh my God, that's wrong, that has to stop. We automatically look to government. No matter what it is, no matter how big or small, we look to government because we see government as this this moral arbiter in society, but also this force for good of, well, it's going to be the great equalizer. We have this, this system of we're powerless. I can't change the world. Business can't change the world. Government can. Because government has the power of legislation and regulation. It can right the wrongs of society. And even with the best intentions in the world, there are people who are socialists who, who are, with the best intentions, just don't see any other way. It's all they were brought up with in Ireland. They just see, that's wrong. That's clearly wrong. Most people would agree it's wrong. Let's use government. That's the only way we have. That's the only solution we have. It can be something as simple as homelessness. You know, there's a big problem of homelessness. Is it a problem? Yes. How do you fix it? I would say charity. I I would also say as, as a Christian, the Christian church. That's what we are called to do. That is where the responsibility lies. 
to a lot of people who are socialists over here, there are some people who are socialists just because they want the power and, and they understand the ideology. Other people just go, well, who else is going to do it? It has to be the government. I may not like it, but that's, that's, that's all that's left. That's historically the only way we have ever known. America was different. Because America said, no, 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 no. Government should be extremely limited in its scope. It had the power structure where it had Article 1, your Congress, and the Congress is divided into bodies. First, the People's House, which is voted upon every year, two years. Then you had the state's voice. I'm talking historically now, not 2018. The state's voice, where the states had their say, and that was elected every six years. And you had the presidency, which was by, by popular vote in each state, but through the Electoral College. But all their power, the power lies in, this, in the government. The power lies in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, where it is extremely limited and focused to what it can do. It's there to protect the people. It's there to ensure other right, people's rights are not fringed upon. The president is nothing more than a figurehead. And we have this body called the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court will rule on, on cases brought before it. But it is the duty of everyone in that government, whether you're a senator whether, you know, from elected by the states, whether you're a member of the rep- a representative elected by your people, whether you're the president or whether you're a Supreme Court judge, you all take an oath to preserve, defend and protect the Constitution of the United States. That is, of course, until Marbury versus Madison came along. But that is still the role of your government. And everything else is to be left up to the states. But even then, you know, if you look at true state constitutions and state roles of government, they tend to say, you know what, it's up to the people. Yeah, we're here to help. We're a state government. And, you know, obviously state governments are different. You know, you take a state government in Texas and a state government in Utah and your state government in Vermont and, you know, a state government in North Carolina. They're all going to have different opinions and stuff and they're all going to intervene and have different priorities because different locations, different climates, different sets of people, different requirements, different ideologies. But the responsibility historically from America and from the idea of America, the idea was self-responsibility. I'm responsible for me. But if something happens to me, it's it's society's job to help me. It's not society's job to come along. And when I say society, I don't mean, hey, we're going to take more, we're going to all campaign for more taxes so that from those from the workers and then give it to me. No, I don't mean that. I mean society, our community, our friends, our family, our parents. How can I help you? Okay, you need, in my case, I need a job. Okay, well, society will come along and try and help me get a job. Maybe even give me a job through a business they know. That was the way. It wasn't through regulations or legislation. It was through individualism. It's up to me to to protect myself. Then it's the role of businesses to act with honor. To act in a right way. That not all money is good money. You just don't do anything. Hey, it makes us money. It adds to our bottom line. Let's do it. No, you act responsibly. You have a duty and a care to your customers and to society to act with morals, to act the right way. That was historically America. Why did I start by breaking this down? Because I want to share a story with you. The United Kingdom is having many problems right now, and government is involved in every single one of them. One of the things the politicians are going crazy about right now is people are betting quite a lot over in the United Kingdom. There's a lot of companies who are active in the United Kingdom who are making record profits. 
And one of the things they have is these uh, these game the gambling machines. You know where you put in a. I just use American language. You put in a dollar or a dime or a quarter, and you know you you pull the handle, and then the the wheels go all spinning, and dee 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 dee, and there's like if you match three, you win. Well, there's these stakes on different gambling machines, and they've passed legislation. This is actually passed. This is happening. That the maximum stake on these it used to be a hundred pounds. It's now down to two. This is to protect the most vulnerable in society. Which is interesting. So it's the government's job to fix this problem. Park that thought just for one second. There's a firm over in the UK, and it's called Skybet. Sky is owned by Rupert Murdoch, who owns Fox, the Murdoch family. I don't know if he owns this betting company. I don't think he does, but it's connected with Sky Sports. And Skybet have his CEO came out, its chief executive, Richard Flint came out and said, you know what, I actually welcome tighter regulation of the industry to ensure gamblers were protected from falling into addiction, debt, family breakdown, and crime. Because he said, as a, the boss of an online betting company, that some customers are so hooked, they should be barred from gambling. Okay, let's take this step by step and let's go through it from a principal point of view. Are there some people who get hooked on on gambling i'm sure there are you know we've all seen the story let's start with the funny one we've all seen the story and i've seen them in america you know the and i mean this in all terms of endearment i find them hilariously funny you know the old dears who are in the gambling machines they have like a big pot and they have like a bunch of i don't know whatever they're betting like the quarters or the dimes and they're just sitting sitting there all day in goes the quarter pull the handle Uh, in goes the quarter goes the handle and they don't even collect their winnings at the bottom they just let them build up they get through the pot and then they put it back into the pot and then they have their day fun and then they cash out you've all seen them yeah, I've, I've i remember seeing someone telling me there's a there's a a theory i remember seeing this in a in a in uh, where is it atlantic city that there's a theory of when a machine a machine is primed for a payout. I have no. I, I'm not a gambler, so I'm the worst person to explain this. But there's something you you know they watch and they look and they know that's that machine is primed for a payout, and then they'll go over and they'll put it in their quarter and just keep going until the big payout comes. And I don't know whether it's true. If you're a gambler, you might let me know. Drop me a tweet. But that's the, that's the funny story. Is gambling a problem? Sure. Should it be watched? Sure. Who should watch it? Who does the responsibility fall upon? Well, I hate to say this, but it's not government. The responsibility falls on the individual. I don't gamble. Sorry, that's actually that's actually a lie. I apologize. I gamble maybe once a year. Maybe. If I if I see someone who if I see something that, you know, like historically, I used to bet on all my teams. I used to do. I don't do it anymore. I'd go in at the the year and say the Giants are going to win the Super Bowl, the Yankees are going to win the World Series. I never really bet on the Knicks because that was just a waste of money. The Knicks are going to win the, <laughs> the Knicks are going to win the NBA championship. Yeah, just give me the five dollars. Don't even take the book, the book and slipper. The Rangers are going to win the Stanley Cup. I used to do that. I used to put a fiver on it, and who knows? I I can't remember the last time I gambled. We used to gamble on like the Grand National, which is like the big racing horse over here. Don't do that. So I gamble maybe once a year if I see something. So I'm coming from a very ignorant point of view. Can it be addictive? Sure. Like everything else in society, we are all addicts of something. I am an addict of sugar. I love sugar. I love I love chocolate. I love it. 
I've my boss Glenn was an, an addict of and still is of alcohol. He's you know once you're an alcoholic you're always an alcoholic, even though you, he hasn't drank in twenty something years he'll still say I'm an alcoholic. Other people are addicts of drugs. Other people are are addicts of social media. I see people today who are addicts and they don't even know it. They they go they look down their nose at well how could you get addicted to pot or drugs? Oh my god! Oh buzz my phone went off. Sorry, just hold on for a second. You're addicted to your phone, addicted to social media, addicted to outrage. There are plenty of addictions out there. So is it possible that people could get addicted to the to the machines? Absolutely. Is it possible when you live in a in a because they're saying this is going to protect the most vulnerable of society, you know, the people who are living paycheck to paycheck. Is it impossible that people who are so desperate for money will convince themselves that, you know what, I'm due a bit of good luck. I'll just go bet this 50 bucks or 60 bucks, even though I can't really afford it, in the hope of winning big. Yeah. I had a friend a long time ago, and he was more of a friend of a friend, but we used to play golf together. He used to have a gambling problem, and he was stupid about it. He'd go in and like bet on a, on a, on a, fo- on a soccer match on a certain team to win, and he'd like bet an astronomical amount of money, and then it'd be a draw. It's like stupid. So I understand this. The response to the question is, who is responsible for this? How do you fix this? Historically, I would say, if someone said to me, hey, let's just use me as an example. John, you're addicted to gambling. How do you fix this? First of all, lesson in life. No matter who is really at fault, you're responsible. In, in work, in life, in anything. I could I could tell you so many reasons why you know certain things go wrong and different projects have been involved in. Bottom line is I can point to everyone else. Blame starts at me. Buck stops here. I am responsible for me. First question, me. First answer, me. I am responsible. Second one, who else is responsible? My friends, my family, people around me, community. We have to step up for each other. We don't just look, well, that's the government's job. You know, if, if John, John's a gambler, but if the government had just written the regulation, he wouldn't be. No, it doesn't work that way. Because all you do with regulation and legislation is if I'm desperate and I'm a real addict of gambling and you make it even illegal to gamble, I'll find a way if I'm, if I'm a real addict. Third one, who else is responsible? Companies. So this guy, this Richard... Richard Flint said it's, you know, we can find, we find, we have, uh, we can interact with customers, this is a quote, we can interact with customers where we can see them getting into difficulty and intervene to stop those who are spending doing so excessively. Okay, you can do that. Absolutely wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Do it. It is your responsibility. If someone is, if you, if you can identify people like me, let's say if I was a gambler, and you can identify John is spending way too much and money he doesn't have, we need to stop him. Cut him off. And then eventually I'll go to another company. And then they have the morals and principles to cut me off. That is the responsibility of it. Because here's the dirty little secret about legislation over here. The dirty leg- little bit secret is what has happened. This is what's happened. There's a problem. See people have a problem. They see gambling is wrong. They see people, they think they have this right to tell other people how to to act. Government gets involved and it passes legislation. The first thing they did was they cut the maximum stake from £100 to £2. 
Okay, great. So if let's say, let's just take an, a real a ridiculous amount of money. Let's say I have £20,000 to spend on gambling. Instead of, actually let's say, make it more simple, I have £1,000. Instead of betting £100 10 times, I now bet £2 500 times. It just takes me longer. And maybe, you know, if the odds stay the same, I'll have more chance of getting my money back. But if I'm going to spend that £1,000, I'm going to spend it no matter how much the maximum stake is. So that has done absolutely nothing. The next thing they did was they got this gambling commission and they're going to they're gonna toughen up protections around online gambling, including stronger age verification rules and proposals for customer spending limits. You see, you don't, you're not a free person. If you have all this money, and let's say you're, not a, you're just an addict, but you have loads of money to spend. Let's say you're a... I don't know, a business owner, and you have lots of money, you're minted, or you inherited a load of money, they're going to say how much you can spend. It's my money, I earned it, I, I inherited it, it's my money, I can do it. No, 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 no. We're going to limit how much you can spend on gambling. Because it's for your own good. They have suggested and made a multi-pound, million-pound advertising campaign to promote responsible gambling. So you see, that, that even if you think gambling is morally wrong in society, like they think drugs are, it's not like, it's, it's, it's just kind of bad. So we're going to let you do some of it, but not all of it. Which, if you think about that to an addict point of view, you're saying this is addictive. You're saying this is really bad, and uh, uh, you know there's addictive tendencies to it. Imagine saying that to an alcoholic. Right, you know, okay, John, let's use Glenn as an example, because everyone listening here knows Glenn Beck. Imagine if the, the, the AA he had went to go, look, here's the problem, right, Glenn, look, you're an alcoholic, you admit this, right? Here's what we're going to do, right? We're gonna, you're going to go to Alcoholics Anonymous, but what you can do is we're going to limit you, right? So you're not going to cut out beer and, and spirits altogether. So every week you can have um, five bottles of beer and a bottle of vodka, but no more, or a bottle of any spirit, whichever your, whatever your favorite tipple is. I don't even know what his favorite tipple is. Imagine that. It's, 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 we're going to legislate it, but we're just going to have responsible drinking. Really? If it's really moral apparent, get rid of it. If you have that power. What they're also going to do is because, you know, God bless politicians, they never ever seem to miss a trick. So the other thing they're going to do is they're going to add on fully things. So the public health is going to do a review of the public health firm, harms of gambling. And they're also, at the next review, are going to review the age limits for the National Lottery Games. Because this is all proof of just getting more power. But they're not finished there. Because what they're going to do is, what they have seen is, ah, you know what? This is a great way to get the taxpayers some more money. Anyone who doesn't comply with what we say, we're going to fine. They fined Skybet $1 million, one million pounds, which is about $1.5 million, a couple of months ago. For not doing things the right way. See, here's the nasty little secret about politicians. People on the ground may think they're somehow noble and somehow more, you know, always doing things the right way. All the all the politician cares about is getting reelected, more power for me, and also more money for the government. So that means that has more money to spend, which means more power for me. That is the truth of progressivism. That is the truth of utopianism. They just see, if they see something like, if they actually meant gambling was really wrong, do you know what they'd do? They'd actually enforce laws. And they wouldn't seek to fine people who didn't comply with them because that makes you a beneficiary of a crime. Because, you know, if you find someone, you're a beneficiary. The government is a beneficiary and then you spend it on something. There's an inherited value of someone else doing wrong. But they don't do that. It's all about power. 
because they somehow are gods. They somehow are, are so smart. They have life so down so well. They can live your life as well as theirs. I don't know about you, but I struggle with my life. I couldn't imagine telling anyone else how to live. What we need to have start having conversations is about the role of government. This is why America is so exceptional, going back right to the start. Government was limited in its power. It left the power to the states, and the states left a lot of it up to the individual. When you see problems in America, the first stop generally, now obviously that's changing over time, but generally was not, hmm, I wonder is there a law or regulation we could pass? No, it was, how can we change things? How can we step up? How can we make our society better? That is why America is exceptional. The rest of the world, it's not because they're wrong or they're ignorant, it's because they don't know any difference. They've been brought up to think that the figurehead, the power, the government is the only answer. As Ronald Reagan used to say, and the reason I'm sharing this quote, the most frightening words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. That was the culture of America. That is what made you exceptional. That fundamental idea. In Europe and the rest of the world, historically and today, no government is the answer. Because who else is going to do it? Who else is going to step up? The answer is, me. And I don't say me as Jonathan. The answer has to be me and everyone saying it and pointing, understanding one thing that used to annoy me when I was growing up as a kid. It was a simple little saying. You know, anytime you'd go, you'd get involved or you'd be in trouble and the, the teacher or the parent and the, the people in control power would come to you and say, okay, what happened here? What, what went down? And then invariably as a kid, you always go, it was him. It was her. It was their fault. And I used to grow up with this saying, it never worked on certain people. Every time you point a finger at someone else, understand one fundamental premise. You're pointing three fingers right back at you. That is something we need to learn again today. That every time we say, you must do something, if you tell someone you must do something, understand that you're saying, yeah, you must do something. But what I am also saying is, I must do three times that. Don't go anywhere, because when we come back, I want to share a tragic story of something that happened in America this week and the response to it. Don't go anywhere, America. You're listening to Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Disciple on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for listening, America. As always, we're on every major platform. We're on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play Music, Stitcher FM, Omni FM. Please share it with a family and our friends. We release a new show every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern under Freedom's Disciple. I want to share a story with you that you've heard a lot about this week or you've heard in certain circles. And I want to really focus in on the response to this story, and especially the response I saw on social media. And I want to share an insight to you from someone who has no trained experience in this subject, as in, I don't know the textbook, what this says. I'm going to talk to you from a pure emotional and feeling point of view. Earlier this week, a lady who I never heard of before, 
called Kate Spade decided to kill herself. She hung herself and she left two kids behind and a husband. Apparently she was a American fashion designer and businesswoman. She founded a a design brand called Kate Spade New York. Again, I, I have no idea. Apologies. I'm not up on my uh, fashion accessories. If you ever seen pictures of me, I'm kind of a dull, boring, you know, pair of jeans and a, and a polo neck. That's, that's, that's kind of me. And, of course, New York Yankees jersey. I do have some style. Um, but it's a real tragic story. You know, you look at this woman who seems to be very successful and, you know, helps sell her business. And, you know, would look at it from an outside point of view going, very successful woman. You know, money doesn't seem to be a, a particular object. You know, obviously there was a few issues and we found out afterwards the husbands and they had never spoke about the separation or divorce, but they had been living separately for 10 months. They had some issues to work out. Two kids, you'd be thinking, what's wrong? You know, she's living the American dream. Well, it seems not all was right within her head. She had mental illness. I don't want to really speak about her too much because I don't, I say, I've before this story, I never heard of her. And I don't know, you know, what Kate Spade in New York is. Apologies. But what I do want to focus in on is some of the responses I saw on social media to this and on some of the articles I read about it because I went through the articles scanning the, looking for the responses. And the responses are always the same when someone seems to commit suicide. Oh my God, how selfish. How selfish. How, how could you be so selfish? You are just, you're just one of the worst people I've ever met. How could you do that to your kids? How could you do that to your, to your family? Again, what I'm about to say is not going to be popular. <laughs> shocker me say something popular right and it, there's probably someone if someone's listening to this who has studied mental health might be able to say this is why you're factually wrong because of these theories i'm going to talk to you from personal experience i want you to close your eyes for a minute i want you to close your eyes and i want you to visualize what i'm about to say to you what I want you to visualize is, I want you to think of a day where you were in the most physical pain that you ever experienced. The most cruci- excruciating pain you can imagine. You got that? The most excruciating. You are literally in agony. Now, on top of that, I want you to just put that feeling aside just for one second, but don't lose it. Just hold on to it. But I want you to also think of something else. I want you to think of the day you were most upset, a day you were the most emotional, a day where you were just, all you wanted to do was cry. A day where, you know, maybe it could have been from a really bad breakup or the day you lost someone you loved. Just think of that emotion. You got that? Now, I want you to couple that with the pain, the physical pain that you're going through. But I'm not done. This is the hard one. I want you to think, or to try and think, of your life right now with absolutely no hope. 
where you absolutely think everything you have is going to pot. Where you see no good coming from yourself. Where you see, no matter what challenge you face, you know you're going to be on the end of a receiving end of a beating. Where nothing positive, there is no positive outcome. Whether you're looking at your family situation, whether you're looking at your business, whether you're looking at your financial situation, regardless of it. All the answers, the only answers you can see are ones that will hurt you and will hurt those closest to you. You have no hope. I want you to combine the physical pain that you're thinking about, the mental pain that you're speaking about, and try and envisage no hope. And you still don't come close to what someone who's committed suicide has gone through. I'm not here to defend any person who has committed suicide. In some ways... Suicide is is a really horrible subject to talk about. And I'm not a fan of the way some people commit suicide. I've always, when I've spoken about this privately to some people who have had issues, I've always said, you know, if you're going to commit suicide and you're determined to do it, don't do it in such a way that l- will leave a lingering effect on other people. And what I mean by that is, my cousin committed suicide, and he hung himself. And the person who found them was his, I believe at the time, 80-year-old granny. And she had to cut him down. There are easier ways to do it, but you cannot understand, expect that from someone who is in physical pain, who is in mental pain, and who has no hope, and is not thinking clearly. When you commit suicide... My first thought is not you're selfish or anything negative to you. My first, my first thought is always is sorrow. How bad of a place must someone be in to do that? You know, our bodies are... And again, I'm not speaking from someone who actually knows what they're talking about. I just read stuff. Our bodies are incredible parts and bodies. It's an incredible anatomy. Everything in your body is trained to protect you. You know, you think of something... I'm going to try not to get too graphic here, but just think everyone's done it. Think of some the last time you threw up. You know, you ate something bad and you physically threw up. Your body is hurling. Your stomach and your whole upper body is convulsing. Your body is going, this is bad. I need it out of me. And it is literally willing to go against the everyday nature of its of the organs where the body goes down into the mouth. It's chewed. It goes down the esophagus and all through the intestines and, you know, into the stomach. Your body is so designed to protect you that it's going to go, hey, I know the way the food normally comes down, but this is so bad, we got to get it back up. We, you know, we got to go reverse the whole process. And you convulse and you, you know, every, I'm guessing there's no one who's listening to this has never been sick. If you are listening to this and you've never once been physically sick, wow, <laughs> go do the lottery because you are lucky. Your body is designed to protect you at all costs. 
it's why some people have certain fears that even though they're not really you know uh, you know realistic they're they're just heightened senses you know there's certain people who are afraid of heights that is effectively just hey you got to be careful you might fall and it's your body saying be very careful be on high alert when you walk down a street at night you know you're like oh my god are, are we okay that's your body saying something's not quite right you need to watch out your body through your mind through your organs through every part of you is designed to not kill you whether it's by your hand or by anyone else's that is nature that is your body the pain and the suffering and the grief and the biggest one is having no hope having no hope for tomorrow as someone who i can't talk to you about the the textbook side of mental health illness i can talk to you about the practical side the realistic the day-to-day side of it where you are so down where you're like you know no matter what i do no matter what i do to change it the result will be the same where you're so beaten where before you have even started, you know you've lost. Where there is no hope. Where there is no light at the end of the tunnel. You know, things are bad for most of us. You know, no matter who's listening. We all can sit here and talk about all the bad things in our life. Of the things that really suck. But the body and the way your psyche is. You know, you know what? Today was a really bad day. I'm really sucked today. I had so many bad things happen, but tomorrow could be different. It might not be. Tomorrow might equally suck, but it could be better. And it might not be tomorrow. It might be next week. It might be next month. But at some point, our brains are wired to say it can be better. For a person who commits suicide, there is, there is no tomorrow. Tomorrow is the same as today. There is no next week. There is no next month. There is no hope. And occasions like this, it's so easy to be outraged in this world. People are saying horrific things on some of the threads I saw about this woman. I don't know whether she was a good person or a bad person. I don't know. I don't know her politics, nor do I care. When I see stories like this, I feel sorry for the person involved. Because... I can't imagine what they must have experienced to actually go through with it. What they must have experienced. What That point where they said there is no hope and I'm in this much pain and I can't take it anymore. And they actually go through it. The body didn't stop them. Because the body does say, no, you shouldn't do this. Hey, what? You know, if you're doing something that's going to kill you, your body will be like, hey, this is not a good idea. Stop, 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 stop. That you still got over that hump. That your body was saying stop to you. And you didn't. But as much as I feel sorry for the person involved. I always feel sorry for the family. Because you don't know what the last words were to them people. To her. You don't know what the last interaction was. They're going to live the rest of their lives asking, what if I had just fill in the blank? What if I had just phoned her? What if I had just checked on her that night? What if I had just given her a hug? What if I just told you, I love you, mom? 
what if you know anger is one of the easiest emotions to come by you look at the history of this world anger is so easy and even righteous anger it's so easy to be angry the lesson this world has never ever really gotten and i don't know whether it ever will is sometimes anger is not the emotion that's needed a lot of the time it's actually not what's needed is compassion what's needed is love i've been thinking about this story since it was announced i've not had one angry word to say about this woman all i feel is sorrow for her and compassion for her family just something to think about if case you ever thought someone who committed suicide was selfish just something to think about of actually some of the emotions they go through i'm not the foot justifying suicide i'm not defending it just sharing the a human side to it when we come back i want to finish today's show by remembering two events and two anniversaries of the past week the d-day landings and Ronald Reagan. Don't go anywhere, America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. The Glenn Beck Program. I expect the media to be anti-Trump, but I am so sick and tired of this media doing anything to discredit Donald Trump. You dare to try to tell us that you're telling us the truth when you come out and say the president is calling all immigrants animals and you're baffled why the American public is turning their backs on you? The Glenn Beck Program. Freedom's Disciple On Demand On the Blaze Radio Network Thank you so much for sticking with me, America I want to finish today's show I hope it's given you something to, to think about Even if you don't agree with me, that's not the aim of this show The aim of this show is to make you think To get you finding where you stand out for, on the issues Not where I stand, but where you stand I want to finish up today's show To make one last big point Of something I've been thinking about a lot lately but by remembering history. You know, our world is filled with history. Our world has seen so much of the worst of man. And sometimes in our world, we tend to focus on man at his worst. And not enough time of man when they're their man's better angels. June 6, 1944, was a day that will be remembered with infamy. They were the Normandy landings, D-Day. It is the largest seaborne invasion in history. It is a time when men, women, communities put everything aside 
to stand up to one of the most evil, despotic people in the history of the world. Have you ever thought about D-Day? You ever thought about the the thoughts that were running through those men and women's minds? You know, one of the questions I always get is, why do I finish this show the same way since day one? By saluting heroes in society. Because the truth is, for, there are many reasons, but one of them is, in 2018, we're told heroes don't exist. That heroes are just a figment of our imagination. That the heroes are on a screen played by actors. And that a hero is just a superhero like Superman and Batman and is no more real than you, than your imagination, than Star Wars. That there are no better angels in society. They're wrong. They don't know where to look. We have heroes living amongst us right now who have done some of the most heroic things and we just ignore them. Have you ever thought about D-Day? Have you ever actually looked at, you know, researched it or even just briefly, even just do a Wikipedia as much as I hate that page. Just do a Wikipedia search on it. Because I actually went onto Wikipedia, I'm on it right now. Just to see what they say. Have you seen some of the pictures of the D-Day landings? If you haven't, I'd ask you to close your your eyes just for a minute and just think of what you would think if you were put in this situation. Regardless of whether you're American or whether you're English, you can be any of the Allies. And you have this evil despotic person called Adolf Hitler in charge of Germany who talks about the Aryan race, who thinks they're somehow more better than everyone else, who thinks we're better, we're German, we're better than everyone else, we're superior. And who's invading other countries. There's concentration camps. And you're part of the D-Day landing. You've lived through some of the most horrific things any person should ever survive. You, you've you seen, if you're an English person, you've seen your country bombed. If you've been American, you've seen or heard of Pearl Harbor. You have seen the rationing. You've seen the pain. You may have even lost someone already. And you get the call to be part of this secret plan to land on the beaches. And picture yourself in a a big metal container surrounded by men on your left and on your right. And you can see out of this container because it has no lid. And you're on the sea and you're sailing. And because the landing started at 6.30 in the morning, you're traveling through the night. And on the horizon you see a beach. And all you can see is water right in front of you, sand and hills, until they hit the sky 
where you see maybe a few clouds. And you're on that boat because you want to be part of history. You want to stand up to Nazism. You want to stand up to National Socialism. But you know the Germans control the beaches. You also know, I'm sure, as you look around this big metal container with men to your left, men to your right, men in front of you and men behind you, as you're about to get the call to storm, you look around and you see all these men And you know a good chunk of you won't make it true today. You want to talk about bravery in this world? We think, you know, hitting a, oh my God, did you see? He kept his composure in a full count in the World Series and he hit a home run to win game six. He was so brave. He was so courageous. No, that is not courageous. Or he held his nerve in the last quarter of a football game and just threw this amazing 30-yard pass that only he could throw into the end zone to, to, to get a touchdown and to win the game. And he was just so brave. And he stood up to the pressure. The, the, the defensive linemen were rushing and coming at him. But he kept his pocket and he kept his calm and composure. He was just so brave and no. That's not brave and courageous. You know what brave and courageous is? It's been on that metal container. You want to know what brave and courageous is? It's been on that metal container knowing you're probably going to die and taking a foot off it anyway. To storm those beaches. That is real bravery. That is real courage. And we're forgetting it. That is real honor of self-sacrifice and duty. Do we even know, does kids even know what happened on June 6, 1944 anymore? Because if it wasn't for those brave and courageous men, if it wasn't for brave and courageous men and women, Rationing, self-sacrifice, doing everything they could, and standing up to pure evil. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here today. If it wasn't for those brave men and women, I wouldn't be here talking to you. And chances are you wouldn't be able to listen to me. If Hitler had won World War II, I'd be speaking German, and I can tell you I wouldn't even know what freedom was, because I would never have been given the opportunity. And maybe America, all pitfalls and flaws that you have in 2018, might be under Nazi control, because those ships were coming for you. Do we understand, do we even salute the people involved? Because the casualties on on once on our side were four thousand four hundred and fourteen dead. German casualties were estimated between four thousand and nine thousand. Allied casualties were at least ten thousand. Do we even understand who the some of the people were 
Do we understand how the weather played issues in those days? Do we understand how key it was? Today, I want to salute a few people. And names you'll probably have never heard of before. But I think it's important to remember them. Because if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here today. So if you'll allow me in a moment, I want to salute about 20 people. I want to salute Commander First Army of the United States, Lieutenant General Omar Bradley. He had a contingent of about 73,000 men. On the Utah beach, Major General J. Lawton Collins of the Seven Corps. I want to salute Major General Raymond O. Barton of the 4th Infantry Division, Major General Matthew Ridgway of the 82nd Airborne Division, Brigadier General J.W. McKelvey, the 90th Infantry Division, Major General Maxwell D. Taylor of the 101st Airborne Division. On Omaha Beach, Major General Leonard T. Girau of the V Corps, Clarence Orr Huberner of the 1st Infantry Division, Charles H. Gerhardt of the 29th Infantry Division. In the British and Canadian zones, Lieutenant General George Bucknell of the XXX Corps, Major General D.A.H. Graham of the 50th Infantry Division. On Juneau Beach, Lieutenant General John Crocker of the British 1st Corps, and Major General Rod Keller of the 3rd Canadian Division. And on Sword Beach, Lieutenant General John Crocker, Major General Tom Rennie of the 3rd Infantry Division, and Major General Orr N. Gale of the 6th Airborne Division, and Major General Percy Hobart of the 79th Armoured Division. These are names to have history has forgotten, but not on this show. I salute each and every one of you because you guys are heroes. Let us never forget about history. Let us let us forget the sacrifices and the duties other people paid so we could exist today. But also with the understanding it is our responsibility to make the same self-sacrifice and have the same honor and duty so that another generation may also live in freedom. And with that, I want to talk to you about Ronald Reagan. 14 years ago on June 5th, Ronald Reagan passed away. You know, Ronald Reagan was probably easily the greatest president of my lifetime. Easily. There has never been another Ronald Reagan, and I don't know if there ever will be. I don't agree with every policy Ronald Reagan had. But one of the things I love about him was the way he acted. His love for America. The way he came through all the adversity that he came through. Running for president. The hatred of his own party. The hatred of the media. One of the things I admire most about Ronald Reagan was he never let himself get bitter. It would have been so easy. But instead of turning bitter, he 
shared stories. And he was called a great communicator for a reason. I want to share one of those stories with you real quickly today. Everyone knows the phrase, tear down this wall. But how many people know the story behind that? How that line that everyone says changed the world almost didn't happen. Ronald Reagan is traveling to give this speech. And Ronald Reagan was very active in his speeches. And he put in this line, Mr. President, tear down this wall. And his advisors, his generals, said, Mr. President, you can't say that. I'm saying it. He said, Mr. President, you can't say it. You, you, You don't know what the consequences of this will be. It's not worth it. Don't say it. And he said, I'm saying it. So it goes through the first draft. Ronald Reagan puts in, Mr. President, tear down this wall. Second makes other changes, and the second draft is coming back. And this is as he's traveling to give this speech. The line is taken out. He puts it right back in. As he's in the motorcade to go to the speech, he's making final preps, and the line is out of it again. His people keep taking this line out. And he's like, I want this line in. It is critical. He didn't know it was going to change the world, but he wanted that line in there. He stood up to his own people. He didn't do it in some outrage or with insults. He was just resolute, determined to be on the right side of history. As he's traveling in the motorcade, it's, Mr. President, please don't say this. Please don't. You don't know the consequences. You don't know, understand the fallout this is going to cause. It's not about politics. It's about doing the right thing. And he gets up and gives the speech and includes it anyway. Mr. President, tear down this wall. And the rest is history. Why did I share these two stories with you? You know... There are two reasons. One, to remember history. But second, I want to make a bigger point. When you read history, and when you live life, it's always easy to think things suck. To think, you know, there's no hope for tomorrow. We're all just done. It's easy to to get caught up in the day-to-day issues and... When you, especially when you see the bad news that's coming. Like last week we spoke about the IMF coming out and saying, you know, we're okay to 2020, then we're totally screwed. You know, if, you, if you're if you in certain circles and you, you know, if you listen to Glenn and some of the stuff he talks about with the ASI and AI and AGI, you're kind of, robots are going to kill us all. If you're on the left, you believe in global, global warming, the world is going to go on fire, we're all going to die. The world has faced major problems in the past. Sometimes we need to take a step back and go, you know what, we're dealing with major problems right now. But as much of the problems as we're dealing with, there is no problem we face today that if we have the right principles, we can't fix. It's the right principles that will guide us through. The idea of freedom still works. 
that we are in a point in history where could we live in the biggest tyranny ever known to man and the worst tyranny? Absolutely. It could happen. But that could have been said so many other times in the past. It could have been said if Ronald Reagan didn't say those words and didn't win the Cold War. If Russia had gained control. If Russia had won the Cold War, we could have said that we're going to see and experience the worst tyranny known to man. If those D-Day landings had went differently and we didn't get a foothold in Europe and Hitler had actually won World War II or the Americans didn't get involved and eventually the British fleet fell and Hitler had won and then eventually went after America and had won there too, we would have known the worst tyranny known to man. This statement is nothing new. Yet at each and every time the world gets to it, we may, you know, argue and squibble and, and go crazy and talk about the media been sucking and how other people are the problem. We may all squabble all day long, but our history shows that when it gets to that precipice, when it gets to the time to really unite and defeat pure evil, we'll do it. Our history is filled with it. It's important to remember history so we never forget the evils. But it's also important to remember and be inspired by history of what can actually happen. Of what good can happen. At men at their best. You know, America is an exceptional nation and it inspires me every day. I wish it would inspire some of your people. Is America perfect? No. No nation ever will be. And no matter what America does or ever who it elects or how your people act, America will never be perfect because here's the simple truth. And let me be frank. There will always be bastards out there who will seek to take power from other people, who will seek to impose their will, whether it's a politician or whether it's a petty criminal or whether it's a major gang. We will always have bad people in our culture and our society. But it's how we are defined. We need to understand that there will always be evil. And if we all we ever see is evil and wrong, then we're painting a very bad picture of the world. Likewise, if all we ever see is goodness in people and people are great, we're also painting an incomplete picture. You cannot paint a picture of man and of this world without the darkness of night and the brightness of the sun. But even in the darkest night, even in that darkest night, the stars still shine bright, and the moon is still there. We have darkness, but we also have a lot of bright. There is no problem this world faces, or America faces, that cannot be overcome with the right principles. The principles of freedom. The principles of nature's law. Not man's law. Nature's law. The principles of love. Of compassion. Of looking. If you point the finger at someone else. Point it back at you three times. And go. What I've just said you need to do. I need to do three times that. Can you imagine if every person. Or even the vast majority of people. Acted that way. Do politicians have a role? Sure. Do people have a role? More so. America is great because of Americans. Not because of your politicians. 
for the vast majority of your history, it's in spite of your politicians. America's not great because of your Supreme Court, because for the vast majority of your history, it's been in spite of the Supreme Court. That is a legacy you're not going to change. But we need to remember and never forget there are people, there are heroes in society, and there are heroes that exist today who are fighting for freedom all around the globe, who are fighting and striving for that better tomorrow, who are willing not only to fight for it, but to sacrifice for it, to die for it, to spend months upon months away from their family and their loved ones. Don't talk to me about being courageous and brave of hitting a pitch, and I'm a huge Yankees fan. I have seen more bravery in some of the Marine friends I have in their fingernails than any Yankee possesses, and I'm a Yankee fan. I'm also a huge Giants fan. I have seen more courage in a toenail of some of the Marines I know and some of the stuff they have faced than Eli Manning has ever done in his life, and I love Eli Manning. Our heroes are around us. They're living. They live amongst us. Because while we love to talk a good game, they do a good game. They make the sacrifice to leave their friends, their families, their communities, their great American food for months on end. And go to some hellhole. And fight for freedom. And they even fight for the freedom for some of those scum who when they come back spit on them. Who call them imperialists. Who call them warmongers. Who think and say they suck. How they're the worst of society. They fight for their freedoms too. We need to have and share a message of hope. Because history is filled with badness. We've seen it with Hitler. Mao, Stalin, Lenin. Che Guerrero. We've seen it time and time again. The list of names of bad, evil people is as long as eternity. But what's sad is, we don't ever remember the good people. Why is it everyone knows the name of Hitler? Yet chances are, have never heard of the 20 people, odd people that I suggested earlier on. Or mentioned earlier on as the generals and people in charge of the D-Day landings. There is hope out there. The hope is freedom. The hope is principles. The hope is doing the right thing. And doing it all because you see a bigger picture. I hope today's show has given you something to think about. Something to reflect upon. And if nothing else, I hope it's made you feel better about your country. Because your country truly is exceptional. And it's something I need to do a better job of. Of sharing with you. Because your country is good. Your idea is exceptional. And it's that idea that will make you exceptional once again. Not politicians, but it's idea and your people. As always, we finish up today's show the same way we do every day. By saluting the real heroes in society. You know, the men and women who don't hit great golf shots, don't throw touchdowns and don't hit home runs. But the men and women who sacrifice 24-7 for our freedoms. Your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel and your veterans. And this week, we give a special shout out to the World War II veterans. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, as an individual, thank you 
for fighting for my freedom so I don't have to speak German. Because, let's be blunt about it, I struggle with speaking English, let alone speaking German. German's a lot harder than English. And lastly, I salute you, the great American people. Never ever forget the sentiments of Alexis de Tocqueville. America is great because Americans are good. That's each and every one of you. Not your politicians, not your Supreme Courts, not your administration officials, not the head of the EPA or the IRS or the any other alphabet soup, the Department of Energy, none of them. America is great because of you, because of each and every one of you. Until next week at Saturday at 12 noon Eastern on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play Music, Stitcher FM or, or Omni FM. Have a beautiful and blessed week, America. God bless. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand. The Blaze Radio Network.